It's a crossover Thursday on today's Locked on Giants podcast. Joining me today will be Kyle Krabs of Locked on Dolphins. But first, we're going to try and decode some of what head coach Joe Judge had to say on Wednesday to the media. That and much more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Chena, and happy to have you with us. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day, or if you're watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day. And today's episode is brought to you in part by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house and head to head fantasy matchups where winner takes all. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use our promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. All right. On today's show, we are going to have a crossover Thursday as we do every Thursday. Kyle Krabs of Locked on Dolphins is going to join me coming up a little later on in the show. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about what Joe Judge had to say or what he's actually been saying. Um, Joe Judge had some interesting things to say on Wednesday. I know a lot of fans who read the quotes that were tweeted out or read the article that I wrote about it or like, what is he thinking about? And, and, you know, what is he trying to say? And I'm referencing um, a question that was asked of him about Nate Solder and why Nate Solder continues to play ahead of Matt Parrott. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to give you the updated injury report. We're going to talk a little bit about where Daniel Jones is and what's going on there. And then we'll get into our crossover segment with Kyle Krabs. So let's kick this off. All right. I want to start with the uh, Joe Judge quote, and I'm going to play that for you now so that you can hear exactly what he said and how it was said. This was in response to a question that um, he was asked by a reporter about uh, why Nate Solder continues to play over Matt Parrott. And the background to this, as everybody knows, is Nate Solder, A, hasn't been playing very well, and B, he is not the future. So why not play Matt Parrott? And here's what Joe Judge had to say about that. Yeah, we're pleased with the way Nate's really progressed throughout this year and how he's playing for us right now. So he's a guy that comes out and works tirelessly. Matt's doing a good job progressing in his career as well. You know, we'll look to involve him as well. But, you know, we're using Matt in a lot of jumbo tight end type situations. He's expanding on these roles there. We've worked on him early in the year in terms of some guard stuff. You know, really his home at tackle is where he's progressing. Uh, but he's given us contributions along the way as we go. So, you know, talking specifically about Matt, we do expect him to play. Uh, throughout different situations and different games. Nate's taking the lion's share of a lot of the reps, but Matt's always going to be prepared and expect to play. Okay, so for those of you wondering, no, it's not a matter of Joe Judge being blind. Here's the thing. Go back to last year. Let's go back to last year when Joe Judge was was a first-year head coach and they had a rotation going on at certain positions. Now, actually, before I continue, disclaimer here, I am not defending Joe Judge here. All right. I see it. You see it. Nate Solder has been struggling. And I too agree with the with everybody who says that see what you got with Matt Parrott. 
All right. I agree with that. So anyway, we go back to last year. And if you recall, uh, Matt Parrott was rotating in with Cameron Fleming at right tackle. I think they had some rotation going on at left guard. If I'm not mistaken, it was at the time it was Will Hernandez before he had COVID with Shane Lemieux. Um, Basically the only steady guys there were Zeitler, um, Nick Gates at center and Andrew Thomas at left tackle. When a coach rotates like that, usually it's because they're not really sure who the better guy is. And it's still kind of, you know, trying to make up or or make sure that they know who the better guy is, who are they going to feel more comfortable with? So that, and also because they didn't have a training camp or or an off season, um, it was an opportunity for judge to get an, an extra long look at certain guys. Now let's go to this year. They had a off season. They had a training camp and Matt Parrott, unfortunately was unable to beat out Nate Solder or was he, or was it a matter of Joe judge just being more comfortable with Nate Solder because he knows him from his days in new England could be. So let's talk about this a little bit more. If you remember last year, Joe judge, when the Eagles did what they did in the regular season finale, Joe judge went on a tear about, you know, how dare Nick, uh, how dare Doug Peterson compromise the, the integrity of the, of the, the competitive integrity of the game just went on an absolute verbal tear. So one possible reason is that Joe judge, you know, because the giants are still technically and mathematically alive for a playoff berth, maybe he's thinking to himself, okay, you know what? I'm not going to compromise by seeing what I've got with some of these younger guys, unless I have to, because you notice there hasn't been a whole lot of rotation on the offensive line, despite the fact that the unit as a whole, with the exception of maybe Andrew Thomas has not been very solid. So I'm thinking that Joe judge is sticking with the group he has because he feels that those are truly the best five that they have. And let's not mess with that. Now, do I agree with that? Not really. I mean, we we all see it. So, you know, if, if you're telling me, Joe Judge, that um, that Nate Solder is the best guy you have at right tackle, makes me wonder how bad really is Matt Paired? Um, what, what's he doing in practice? Now, I've told you before, we in the media do not get to see the entire practice. So I can't sit here and tell you that, you know, Matt Paired is getting beat or he's missing assignments or whatever the case may be. But I do think there's a degree of trust. You know, Nate Solder is a veteran. And if you listen again to what Joe Judge said in that clip that I just played for you, you can tell that there's a degree of trust there. And right now with the Giants still very much alive for a a playoff berth, which however long shot of a long shot it is, um, you get the sense that Joe Judge is going to stick with uh, Nate Solder at right tackle unless there is an injury. Now, again. I don't agree with it. Um, You know, I've seen it with my eyes. I know you guys and gals have seen it as well. Nate Solder has struggled and that's putting it nicely. Um, He is also not the future at right tackle. His contract is up after this year. He will not be on this team next year. His contract was amended to make sure he will not be on this team next year. So I know people are thinking, okay, well, let's see what we've got with Matt Parrott. 
Matt Parrott, I guess at some point is going to get his opportunity. And, you know, Judge talked about how he's getting opportunities at, at as the jumbo tight end, which is kind of like an extension of the offensive line. So, you know, just to me, what, what I'm hearing without Judge actually coming out and saying is that Nate Solder is the better option right now. And Matt Parrott is still kind of getting his feet wet, still kind of learning, um, still not quite where they would want him to be in order to consider him the best five. Again, before anybody posts a comment right now, if you're watching on YouTube or whatever, I don't agree with it. Um, but that's my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter. Um, the coach's opinion does. And um, I'm sure the topic will come up when we talk to Rob Sale, offensive line coach, tomorrow. We'll find out. Um, or actually today, when it's going to be Thursday, we get the assistant coaches. I'm sure that topic will come up and we'll see if, you know, he lends himself to any further um, clarification on the matter. But here's the other thing with Joe Judge. I mean, if you haven't figured this out by now, you never will. And that is Joe Judge doesn't throw guys under the bus on the record. He just doesn't. So anybody who was expecting him to say, yeah, you know, Nate has struggled some, but he gives us the better chance to win or any, you know, any kind of answer like that. It just wasn't happening. And by sidestepping the question a little bit, that was Joe's way of kind of saying without saying that, you know, hey, I like how he works, you know, but, uh, you know, that you could almost tell there was a button there, but um, that, that wasn't said. So that's my take on that whole exchange that with Joe judge and, and, and the offensive line. Now I want to talk a little bit really quickly about this whole situation with Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, as we all know, has a strained neck and he was limited in practice to give off the impression that, Hey, maybe the NFL networks report that Jones may miss Sunday's game was premature, but here's the thing you've got to remember. All right. The quarterbacks don't get, don't engage in contact anyway. So really, you know, to say Daniel Jones was limited, all that means is that maybe he took half the snaps and maybe Mike Glennon took the other half. Um, The whole non-contact issue there, the quarterbacks as a rule don't engage in contact anyway. They're not, you know, the defenders are not allowed to hit them. So nothing new there. So from a competitive perspective, Judge has an opportunity to kind of play games, if you will, with the Miami Dolphins and keep them guessing as to whether or not Daniel Jones is going to play or not. Now, do I think he's going to play? I think it's too soon to say. Um, was I surprised that he practiced? No, I wasn't. Um, I knew he would be limited. I suspected that would be the case. Uh, because again, quarterbacks are not, you're, you're not allowed to hit them. So if he could stand back there and throw the ball and, and, you know, as long as he can move his head, which he was doing today, you know, he was moving his head slightly, you know, to look at, at uh, whoever was asking the questions. He was also kind of turning his body, you know, sort of like this, you know, not quite turning his head all the way, like you normally would with normal range of motion. But as long as he could turn his head somewhat, you kind of knew that, you know, he was okay enough to practice. Now, here's the thing to consider with Daniel Jones. If he takes another shot to that, to his head or neck area, 
Can they make it worse? Can that injury become worse? That's what the Giants have to determine. Now, right now, if I had to take a guess, and again, this is subject to change, I say you play it safe with Daniel. I tend to err on the side of caution. That's just how I am as as a matter of fact. I err on the side of caution. Play it safe with him. Um, See how he comes through the week and where that neck injury is. But if that if that injury isn't close to 100%, I would not risk it because all he needs is to take one shot to that area and he could have some major problems. And we all know Daniel, for whatever the reason, feels this, this incessant need to show how tough he is. And that's a blessing and that's a curse because you can be tough, but you also got to be smart. And Daniel's continued... Uh, refusal to slide. Maybe it's just he doesn't know how to slide. I don't know. Um, But his refusal to slide is concerning. And, you know, he basically, he's putting the Giants in a conundrum, I think, because they want to, I think, take advantage of his mobility. But if he's going to put himself at risk every time he takes off with that ball, Maybe, you know, if I'm the coaches, I might say to myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to use that aspect of the game sparingly. So my guess is this offseason, Daniel Jones, they're going to they're, they're going to tell him, hey, Dan, learn how to slide feet first, you know, because this is ridiculous now. This is what, three years now, every uh, three years that Daniel Jones has had some kind of injury as a result of a runner because he's taken a hard hit. This has got to stop. If Daniel Jones wants to be the franchise quarterback of, of this team for the next 10 years, he's got to be smarter. And the coaches have got to be smarter um, in terms of how they use him, in terms of, you know, what they're telling him. And they've got to drive this point home because this kid's not going to last if he continues to take shots. I don't care how tough he is. I don't care how much work he does in the weight room. You take shots to the head and the neck and good, good luck. So, all right, before we take a break and then come back for the uh, the crossover segments, let's talk about the injury report, which uh, I think had like nine players on the injury report. Daniel Jones, as I mentioned, the only one limited. Now, on Wednesday, the Giants had a walkthrough, so this injury report is projected. So you've got uh, Trent Harris with an ankle, Cullen Gillespie with a calf, Adoree Jackson with a quad. John Ross had an illness. Kyle Rudolph with the ankle. Sterling Shepard with a quad. Caden Smith with a knee. And Kadarius Tony listed with an oblique and quad. All of those guys did not practice on Wednesday. And P.S. Saquon Barkley is off the injury report. Just thought I'd throw that out there. All right. So um, if I had to take an early guess here. I think Jackson should be okay. I've I've been hearing that his injury is not that significant, but they want to obviously see how he comes through the rest of the week. Um, John Ross, if he has an illness, I mean, unless he has what Lorenzo Carter had a couple weeks ago, I think John Ross will be okay to go. I am not holding out hope for uh, Rudolph Shepard or Smith, uh, Caden Smith. Um, I'm not so sure Cullen Gillespie will be back. And I'm not really sure where um, where Kadarius Tony is now. 
he was listed with the quad initially. And then, like I said, now he's listed with an oblique. And, um, you know, one time I've strained a muscle in my oblique and that was painful. Let me tell you, I could not, I had no range of motion um, in my core. So that could be something to keep an eye on. Um, But again, it's early. We'll see. I mean, as I record this, it's Wednesday night. They've got a couple more days to go. But I don't think the Giants are going to have all their offensive playmakers on the field Sunday. I would be very surprised to see that. That would be my early guess. So, All right, Giant fans, we have much more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But let me tell you about Stat Hero. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups with winner taking all. And here's the crazy part. Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play and you handpick the team you want to face one-on-one with stat hero you are in control of the stakes you decide how much you're going to play for and stat hero has no choice but to take it because they are daring you to beat them stat hero head-to-head is what daily fantasy should be one-on-one and right now for a limited time sign up for free at stathero.com slash locked on for a 100% deposit match that's steer that's stathero.com slash locked on or use our promo code locked on to get your 100 match terms and conditions apply that's stathero.com slash locked on everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome back, Giant fans, to the crossover section of the Lothan Giants podcast every Thursday we bring you the lowdown on who the Giants are playing that weekend. And this weekend, the Giants are playing the Miami Dolphins, a team that they don't see very often. Usually it's once every four years. This year, because of the 17-game schedule, just so happens that uh, the Giants drew the Dolphins, luck of the draw. And here to help me break down the Miami Dolphins is the host of the Locked on Dolphins podcast, Kyle Krabs. And Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk a little football with you, Patricia. And as you said, we we don't get too many crossover opportunities. And I wasn't here when these teams last played in 20, uh, 2019. So this will be a good chance for us to to kind of get a feel for both of these teams who, you know, a couple of Patriots disciples at coaches and uh, similar mm-hmm. records at this point in time. So interested to get your vibe on the Giants as well. Yes, and don't forget, Giant fans, you can check out what I have to say about the Giants by visiting the Locked on Dolphins podcast. So make sure you're checking out both shows if you want the complete picture. So, Kyle, let's jump right in. We got to start with Tua. Let's talk yeah. about Tua. He seems, you know, from, from the outside looking in, almost like an enigma, almost like, you know, they're still trying to figure out what he is, what he can be. Where is he in his development and where does he still need to get better? I think you you have to be encouraged by the growth that he has shown this season versus last year. And, and there was a lot of buzz in the offseason about him talking about he didn't really have a great vibe and feel for 
uh, the playbook that Shane Gailey, the, the offensive coordinator in 2020, had. Um, this year's group, they, they brought in Charlie Fry, who he was familiar with with Elite 11 to be the quarterback's coach. Uh, co-offensive coordinators, including George Gotzi, who was the tight ends coach in 2020. Uh, but he worked with Tua uh, very closely through the second half of the season once Tua was inst- installed as a rookie. And I think you're, you're seeing him get a little bit better feel for how to balance running RPOs and understanding NFL throwing windows and continuing to get better at some anticipation. I do think his biggest thing that he needs to continue to work on is his pre-snap processing and identification to understand where his eyes need to be starting uh, to start his reads and then working off of that first read a little bit quicker. There's some routes working across the middle of the field that seems like he's getting to a little late and then the rush is kind of collapsed into his lap and he doesn't have a chance to make those throws. Uh, but as far as ball handling, decision-making, uh, you've seen the aggressiveness go up. You, the Dolphins were a team that really struggled to create explosive plays. Uh, they have a 50-plus yard completion in each of their last three contests, which uh, is a big feat when you consider how tough that was in the early portions of the season. So I think the fact that they've also been able to put all the trade rumors and stuff behind them, too, with, with Deshaun Watson, which followed this team for about eight months, uh, it seems like he's just kind of been able to, to go out, let it loose, and, and play. And that's uh, been a byproduct of, of the trade deadline passing for them, too. Now, you mentioned that he's still kind of learning. I think this is his second, I believe his second season. I mean, mm-hmm. how easy is he, how easily is he confused by defenses still? I mean, usually you would like to see them start peaking upwards. You mentioned the change in offensive coordinator, the, they brought the bringing in of Charlie Fry, but is he still very easy to confuse or is he starting to figure things out a little bit? I don't, I don't necessarily think that he's easily confused because he's not throwing a lot of balls into coverage. It's more so if he's not starting where free access or the coverage safety rotation is going to allow him to find that consistency in hitting his first read, the timing when he's first to, forced to work through his progressions is then delayed. If he doesn't see what he's expecting to see early on. Now, he does do a nice job, as I said, uh, with ball security. Um but I think this is something for him that is a big adjustment with obviously an offensive coordinator change this offseason with a new playbook, but also the environment that he played in at Alabama versus what he's come into. And you know, the Dolphins don't have five star athletes at every position on the field and they don't they don't have this stud offensive line and a running game to lean on. Um, but he has done a really nice job of making the first arriving pass rusher miss. The problem with the Dolphins offensive line is just that they're, they're porous enough where there's usually more than one pass rusher that's getting in when they have to do traditional drop back passing, which is why you see so much RPO and play action for this offense. Now I'm looking at some of the stats for the Dolphins and I see uh, they're 28th league wide in uh, total yards, 31st in rushing 17th in passing. But yet I look at third down, fourth down red zone, uh, goal to go they're they're ranked a lot higher what has been so uh what, what's been the difference for third down and red zone why have they been a little bit more successful than you know overalls uh, I think one thing that they have done is you know the first month of the season was was really rough they did not surpass 300 yards of scrimmage in in uh, regulation in any of those first four contests uh, but you have seen them uh start to protect the football a little bit better. Uh, They've been able to get a little bit of juice in the running game. Uh, They have had 
uh, three 100 yard performances collectively as a team in the last six games that they played. They ran the ball well against Atlanta. They ran the ball for over 110 yards in each of their last two contests against both the Jets and the Panthers. Uh, so as this offense is kind of settled in and there's a first year offensive line coach and they came into the year with all five starters or four of the five starters were first, second or third year players in the NFL. So a lot of inexperience up front as that running game has gotten a little bit better. And I think as they've been able to install some more concepts to build upon their core principles, it's allowed them to have enough layers to what they're doing where they're able to set up some run after catch with the tight ends. And they use a lot of two tight end stuff uh, where they have that tight end slicing across the set, leaking out into the flat. And then they're either RPOing or play action passing off of that. And that's how they kind of keep you honest as far as how aggressive you are to blitz them, because that's either a slice and they're going to run the ball. And now that they're having a little bit of success, they are slowing you down or he's going to pull that out real quick and throw it out into the flat. Now you mentioned the run game. Um, tell me a little bit more about this, the, the type of run game. Are they primarily inside zone, outside zone? What are they typically running um, uh, on the offense there? So they, they run a lot of inside zone. Uh, they went out and they got a lot of 315 plus offensive linemen that, you know, they, they really want to be able to combo block uh, those interior defensive linemen and climb up to linebackers. And their RPO game is built off of that as well. But what's interesting is they claimed Philip Lindsay off of the waiver wire from the Houston Texans just this past week. And he had 12 carries for 42 yards, which is a modest carry uh, yards per carry total but he had a little bit more juice than any of the other backs did as far as his ability. If the point of attack was not one to be able to create for himself a little bit more. And they ran outside a little bit more than what we've seen them do. They had one third and short uh, where two of fake the QB keep where he pulled the ball from under center, took three steps to his right. And then actually they ran speed option off the edge and had a pitch outside. So this past game against Carolina was the first time we really saw them work the outside stuff a little bit more. So this may be in addition to a lot more of the jet motion that they've been implementing with their wide receivers. Uh, and there've been some touch passes to Jalen Waddle in the early portions of the season there too. That's kind of their outside threats. And it's be interesting to see if now that Philip Lindsay's had another week, if they continue to build that out and have a little bit more versatility. Now the Dolphins have won their last four in a row. I think they've beaten the Texans, the Ravens, the Jets and the Panthers, as you mentioned. Yes. The Texans, the Jets, and the Panthers kind of on the downside, but you know, still you got to line up in any given Sunday and all that stuff. The Ravens victory, I thought was very impressive. 22-10. What has changed? I mean, the Dolphins prior to that lost what seven in a row, I think. Yes. Yeah. So what 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 did you see change to kind of kick off that win streak? What are they doing better than they were doing earlier in the season? Yeah, I think there's a couple layers here, and this is the million dollar question because it's like why did you have to lose seven games in a row before you could start doing some of this stuff? And, and I do think uh, the return of Tua, he broke his ribs in week two against Buffalo and spent the next three weeks on IR. So he effectively missed four games. Uh, and then in the game back against Buffalo, which was his third game back, and he was played pretty well against both Jacksonville and Atlanta, who are another two teams who are modest teams this year, but he looked good. Um, and he hit his throwing hand, and then he missed the Houston game. So he missed the first win in this win streak. But his return, I think he has four games in, in the six games that he's been back with a passer rating in excess of 100. So he's been playing efficient on the offensive side of the ball. And as I said, there's a little bit more explosive plays that they've been able to create. But defensively, I really think Javon Holland, the second-round rookie, is the big piece of the puzzle here where 
They swapped him out for Bobby McCain, who was the free safety last year. And it felt like they were playing really vanilla in the first half of the season. And it was like, okay, like, are you getting this guy up to speed as far as the entire menu of plays that you have at your disposal? Because we, we hit the Buffalo game, the second Buffalo game, which was the game before this four-game win streak started. And all of a sudden, the, the aggressive stuff that they did last year was coming back out of the woodwork. And you really see them embrace the blitz-heavy, really aggressive, we're going to crowd you, but we're going to play soft in, in coverage on the back end to guarantee that you're not going to be able to pick us or create rubs and create a lot of run after catch. So we're going to play catch coverage on the back end, but we're going to bring plus one on effectively a lot of our third and fives plus. So I think Holland mastering the calls has been the big piece of that. All right, giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show, but first it's the most wonderful time of the year as college football gears up for the playoffs. The NFL playoff race takes shape and the NBA and NHL are in full swing. And no matter what sport you love, bet online has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available. Visit Bet Online today and get your 50% welcome bonus with the code Locked On. All right, you're listening to the Locked On Giants podcast. We have a crossover Thursday. Kyle Kratz of Locked On Dolphins is with us, and he is breaking down the Miami Dolphins, who host the New York Giants this Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. Kickoff is set for 1.05 p.m., I believe. And uh, Kyle, let's talk about the defense. And I also got to ask you about special teams because Mm -hmm. I know the Dolphins special teams has been kind of a, how can I put this nicely? I'm trying to be diplomatic here. It it hasn't been consistent. So let's start there before we get into the defense because I don't think a lot of people talk about special teams, but it's been a factor What's going on with the special teams? I think uh, the kicker in particular has had some struggles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so Sanders has missed five kicks this year, and they gave him a really nice contract extension uh, this past offseason. And Sanders was phenomenal last year. He was first team all pro, uh, didn't make the Pro Bowl because Justin Tucker still exists on the AFC side of things. But uh, Sanders was first team all pro last year, and I think he made his first 31 kicks last year. So he was excellent. And he's missed a couple of kicks, uh, clanged a couple off the uprights. He missed an extra point last week. Very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, He's hitting 75% of his field goals. And I don't know if it's them from early in the season when the Dolphins really didn't trust their offense. They didn't send him out for some long kicks for fear of, you know, if he misses, then we've set the, the opposing defense up on a short field. We want to play the field position game. They were very close to the vest in that first month of the season. And I don't know if that has kind of permeated into the psyche for Jason Sanders this year or not. Um, He is good on kickoffs. Uh, The punting team with Michael Pilardi, they got two really good gunners. Isaiah Campbell, they picked up off waivers from the Jets uh, in week one this year after the initial roster cuts. He's been very, very good, but he did miss last week with, I believe, a toe and a knee injury. And Mac Hollins is a, a really good gunner who's one of their depth wide receivers as well. So the punt team, it's a question of how consistently is Michael Pilardi, the punter, going to strike the ball. And the silver lining for Miami from a team's perspective that way is I thought Pilardi played or punted his best game this past weekend against Carolina in the first half. I don't think Carolina started any further out on their their, uh, field position than the 15-yard line. So they did a really nice job in that contest and really pinning Carolina down. But, yeah, the missed kicks for Jason Sanders have kind of been a sore spot. And 
you can look at a couple of games that Miami lost and wonder if he had made a kick, would things have gone differently in what capacity? But uh, it's certainly something that I think Miami is, is going to have to prove that they still believe in him by calling his number and he's going to have to prove them right or else uh, they're, they're going to leave some points out on the field. Now the dolphins on defense are a couple of years removed from having Patrick Graham for, mm-hmm. as their defensive coordinator. Patrick Graham, of course, is the giants defensive coordinator these days, but how has the defense changed? Because, you know, there was so uh, there was some belief again from the outside looking in that the system was more Brian Flores system, you know, being having come from Bill Belichick's, uh, coaching staff and being a defensive coach, but how have you seen that defense evolve since Graham was there? It, it's kind of tough to get a feel for exactly what changed schematically versus what changed talent wise, because they were such an aggressive rebuild in 2019. They, they shredded all these old contracts that had a lot of guaranteed money. I mean, they, they were playing in 2019 when, when coach Graham was there, Uh, They had a lot of UDFAs that they had picked up off waivers off the street. And uh, within two weeks, those guys were starting. And none of those guys other than Nick Needham and Xavier Howard uh, are still in the picture as far as guys on the back end of this defense. Um, But I'd still say conceptually, you see a lot of the same things. They want to be aggressive. They want to play a lot of man coverage. Uh, They want to challenge you um, and take away what you do best. They talk a lot about being scheme multiple and scheme diverse and on a week to week basis playing matchups. And um, that sometimes works well for them. It sometimes does not work well for them, depending on if the script doesn't go the way that they think it would. Um, but I, I would say the biggest thing more so than, than scheme changes since 2019, because I do think at its core, it is still very Patriots influenced uh, is, is just their influx of talent with two years of aggressive free agent spending and a lot of high draft picks. What do you view as the X factor for this game? Probably turnovers. I know that that's been something that Daniel Jones has struggled with a little bit and the Dolphins have been hit or miss with it this year. They managed to win one game this year against Houston, which they turned the ball over five times, which you never want to draw it up that way. They managed to create four turnovers in that same contest, but, uh, I think turnovers, it was really big of them against Carolina this past week, too, to, to get an early turnover. Uh, they blocked a punt and recovered that for a touchdown. Uh, so a, a couple of big plays in kind of the peripheral areas of the game. You know, you can point to the line of scrimmage, and I think the Giants have a significant advantage with their defensive line versus the Dolphins' offensive line or uh, the, the secondary of Miami having an advantage over the Giants. But I, I really think it's going to be the little things in this contest uh, that, that help provide the break one way or the other. And I, I would point to turnovers and ball security because that's been one of the themes of Miami season all year long. Okay. And then final question for you, if you're the giants and you're drawing up the game plan on offense and defense, what is oh. the top thing you would attack the top weakness that you see on, on the dolphins where you think you can maybe get the competitive edge? Yeah, uh, I would try to see if you can run between the tackles uh, against Miami. They, they've got a really impressive nose tackle in Raekwon Davis, but they, they do like to rotate guys in. If you can get in second and intermediate, you see number 70, Adam Butler, come on the field. I would try and run at him, and I would dare guys like Jerome Baker, who's a little bit of a smaller linebacker, and Elandon Roberts, who's uh, a downhill thumper between the tackles, but has really struggled with finishing plays and being a consistent tackler this season. Make those guys make big boy plays and, and try and stay in third and shorts and avoid those third and long situations in which this team can run out 
their amoeba defense and their 5-0 package and you know, get those really aggressive blitz looks. Um, and, and then defensively, I, I think uh, the Giants, I think you want to try to play the flats and force them to throw the ball down the field. If you can force Miami to try and throw outside the numbers beyond 10 yards down the field, that's not an area that Miami has consistently hit throws this season. So if I were trying to congest certain areas, I'd say, hey, they want to live inside 10 yards, we're going to crowd inside 10 yards. Go ahead and put the fear in us that we got to play a little softer. So that, that's probably what I would start with as one of my core things for a game plan on either side. All right. Good stuff there, Kyle. And again, he's Kyle Krabs. You can find him on the Locked on Dolphins podcast. Make sure you check it out. Remember, I'm on that podcast, Talking Giants with Kyle. And uh, Kyle also does draft work. Kyle, tell everybody where you can find where they can find your draft work. Yeah, so I'm over at the, the draftnetwork.com. We've got a, a great team of uh, six scouts and a really great content team as well. So a lot of great football experience from a lot of different walks of life. And uh, we're, we've just started our prospect evals and the deep dive uh, film evaluations this past week. So it's an exciting time for us on that front as well as the college season comes to a close. Definitely. And it's a site that I know I will be checking out a lot more of as the season draws to a close. Kyle, great stuff. Appreciate the time. Giant fans, appreciate you making the Locked on Giants podcast your first listen of the day, your first watch of the day if you're on YouTube. And again, thank you so much to everybody who has subscribed to the channel. We're getting so close to a thousand. Let's make it happen before Christmas because that's all I really want for Christmas. Well, that and peace and health for everybody. So for Kyle Krabs, I'm Patricia Trainer. We'll be back tomorrow, Giant fans, with a whole new episode of the Lockdown Giants podcast. Until then, have a great one.